Hello and welcome to QIC's QPod Investor Podcast Series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each Monday morning we invite our listeners into our Liquid Market Team's Financial Market Update Meeting to get a briefing on the latest themes impacting the equity, fixed income, commodity, currency, and volatility markets. Good morning, everyone. It is the 13th of July, and last week, global equity markets had mixed results. We saw greater volatility and gold continued trajectory towards a historic high. And not surprisingly, the RBA left Aussie rates on hold again at 0.25. The ongoing stimulus and market desire to be risk-on again, competing with the COVID pandemic, testing our resilience and driving that bear case. Stuart, we now have a staggering 12.8 million COVID-19 cases globally, and unfortunately are nearing 600,000 deaths. The US has hit daily highs over the weekend, and US President Trump is now wearing a face mask. Is this a sign the president has thrown the white towel in? Can you please briefly summarize the week past and what key macro themes you are focusing on this week and the impact of the world's currency markets? Thanks very much, Craig. Yes, as you mentioned, globally, equities managed to generate more gains over the past week, but there was ongoing divergence in performance with Chinese equities and US big cap tech stocks leading the way, while Europe and Australia in particular lagged. And I think Beverly is going to talk a little bit more later about the impacts of uh, COVID in Australia. Uh, The ongoing resilience in risk assets is in spite of what you mentioned there, a deterioration in the COVID crisis, both in the US and also globally. Uh, In the US, the number of new infections has now gone up for four weeks. Hospitalizations have been rising for three. And now with a typical lag, we're seeing an increase in the number of deaths over the past week. At an economic level, these dynamics are clearly impacting the rate of recovery even before the mandated state and local reversal of reopening measures. And there's now effectively three tiers across the US. Uh, Those areas which have rolled back some reopening measures in a belated effort to contain the outbreak, uh, those who have stalled reopening, uh, and those who are continuing with a, a staged reopening process. But the resilience that we do see in stocks can largely be attributed to the immense monetary and fiscal stimulus that are providing the foundations, uh, the swift economic rebound that we've seen so far off the lows, and and a high level of investor confidence that we've already seen the trough in the economy. But where we do see the impact of that ongoing health crisis is at the sector level. I think Robert might be talking a bit more about this later in terms of the US, but you are seeing certain sectors still lagging, uh, and those growth assets uh, outperforming. At the broader level, arguably central bank policy measures have allowed the economic outlook and risk assets to decouple with the prospect of a more drawn out and challenging economic recovery having less impact on stocks and also allowing investors to be even more forward looking than usual, waiting out for in the short term, an inflection point in the COVID crisis, in the longer term, uh, a vaccine and developments there. In terms of how these themes have impacted currencies over the past week, it's definitely been a quieter week in currencies, and that's somewhat reflective of the slower news flow, but also 
seasonal northern summer when uh, markets tend to be quieter in exchange rate movements. Uh, most major currencies moved less than 1% against the dollar over the past week, uh, with the best performers in developed markets arguably being those value currencies that are perceived to be cheap, and that's Sweden and the British pound. Uh, and there's some resilience in the defensive with yen and Swiss, both up around half a percent for the week in spite of the positive risk bias. Thanks, Stuart. Fantastic. Robert, can we bring you into the conversation, please? I mentioned at the start, it seemed like a bit of a mixed week for global markets, but of course, US did quite well. Can we get that update on the US, on the equity markets, please, and how you're seeing it going forward? Yeah, you're right, Craig. Um, US equity markets finished up a little over 2%. That's the S&P. The star, as we've pretty much become accustomed to, was the NASDAQ setting a new high and finished the week up almost, a little over 5%. Um, outside of the US, it was pretty mixed and pretty anemic, to be honest. Australia and the UK pretty much treaded water. The Euro stocks managed to be up just over a percent. In equity volatility, that... Um, the markets pretty much ignored this positive sentiment and finished in terms of forward volatility pretty much where they started the week at around about 30 vol and that represents moves at around about 1.8 percent per day going forward in commodities the big news over the weekend was that opec were going to bring about 2 million barrels of oil back online and that represents about 20% of the OPEC, of the cuts that were made as a part of i guess in response to the covid crisis the unanswered question there remains of, as to whether countries will stick to the uh, cuts or their, sorry, to their quotas uh, in the face of the lower revenue that they're earning uh, as a result of those um, the production cuts. I think in your opening, you talked about um, metals, industrial metals, and copper actually was the biggest hit last week, uh, up a little over 7%. So, uh, on the back of South American supply concerns, I guess, related to the COVID um, health. And silver was up about four with gold actually lagging only up 90 basis points, despite hitting an intra-week um, high. Fantastic. Thanks for that update, Robert. I'm glad that you commented on gold there at the end. Thank you for that. Beverly, could I bring you into the conversation, please? I mentioned at the start where the RBA uh, landed uh, recently with regards to rates. Um, how are you seeing the COVID pandemic, given the enormous news over the weekend with regards to the historic uh, lockdown between uh, New South Wales and Victoria, and also any other economic updates to share with us with regards to rates? Yeah, hi, Craig. Look, look, bon bon. Bond market volatility last week was st still pretty low, but um, as you correctly pointed out, I think you know the obvious new theme and narrative in the Australian market is around the, the COVID developments and and the new lockdown measures in Victoria. So we've certainly seen in the last few days uh, a number of economic forecasters revising lower their expectations of Australian GDP for the second and third quarters, obviously as a result of that Victorian lockdown um, and unemployment rates also forecast to go a, a little bit higher. So I think, you know, at, at the moment, everyone's taking them at face value that, that they're really just sort of knocking off what we've seen to date in terms of the Melbourne activity. But I think the important step next will be not just obviously COVID developments and, and whether or not we, we see some spread outside of Victoria, but but whether or not that this is 
going to be leading to more of a widespread um, impact on consumer confidence outside of Victoria. Um, and, you know, we've already seen um, some online restaurant bookings. I was actually just looking at some numbers this morning, and it's almost impossible to discern the numbers between the Victorian developments and the New South Wales and Queensland developments. So already it looks like we're starting to see some knock-on confidence impacts outside of Victoria. So that's definitely one to watch. Um, related to that, of course, is um, the, the, the impact around government deficits. And we've already seen some new announcements from the Victorian government is going to mean, you know, more fiscal stimulus to kind of counteract these shutdown effects, more fiscal stimulus federally, more fiscal stimulus at the state level also. Um, we got the AFM and now making some announcements on Friday. Uh, they're going to be issuing a 2025 bond. So this is a new um, 2025 bond. It's actually just been announced this morning, the details of that bond. Um, that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I think everyone thought the 2051, the new 30-year benchmark bond was going to be first up, but they've decided to do the 25 first and the 2020 sorry, 2051 will come in a couple of weeks' time, and that's going to come after the very important 23rd of July fiscal update from the Treasurer. So, um, you know, lots of supply that's continuing to be a theme for us, but, you know, even more so domestically now with, with these new COVID developments. And just finally, to touch on semi-market developments, you know, we talked a lot about you know, over the course of the last few weeks, how strong that market had been, how tight those semi-spreads had come in, particularly at the very front end where we'd seen them come, you know, not just to pre-COVID levels, but actually, you know, below pre-COVID levels, we saw a very big underperformance last week in this market. And again, we've been talking about the market has not really up until now differentiated across the states. It all been pretty much moving in line with each other. But last last week, we really saw TCV and the Victorian um, spreads move out, you know, a lot wider than, than in other states. So just as an example, 10-year TCV spreads moved around 16 basis points wider last week. So that's quite a decent move for that market um, and you know clearly now all that supply that COVID you know developments really starting to come and, and hit that market in a quite a negative way. Um, the RBA we don't think is really going to step in um, in the short run in this market you know it's still operating um, you know perfectly fine it's just you know responding to the weight of supply that it sees ahead. And interesting Bev we're now starting to see I suppose a, a slight change in the fact that now the the COVID sort of bear case, put it that way, is starting to lead the markets a little bit with that latest news on the semi-market. Can I just take you back to two questions you mentioned earlier? One, you sort of mentioned there was a, an, a, a some news coming out on the unemployment front. Is there anything you can actually share there with us? And secondly, is there any take out of the fact they've gone with a 25-year bond first? Is there any sort of market-leading news that, that might be driving that decision? Uh, look, I think what they're trying to do, they're going to be releasing a new five-year bond future in Australia in Q4. So I think that, you know, they're starting to um, fill out the curve in that part of the curve ahead of that. And obviously, that'll be the first of a few a few bonds that they're likely to, to put into that part of the curve. It didn't really have a massive market impact um, when they announced that 2025 bond last week. Um, but I just think, you know, they've obviously decided for some reason to, to get in there early with that 25 bond and, and, and leave it a couple of weeks for the, the 2051. Um, 
Thanks, Bev. Uh, Andrew, uh, can we please shift gears and move into the global slash US markets? Um, so Bev was just commenting then in terms of issuance and how it's being, uh, I suppose, soaked up by the Aussie market. Um, how is the demand for treasuries going against this backdrop of lower volatility? Yeah, thanks, Craig. So it was another week of low volatility, as both Bev and Stuart alluded to last week in the Treasury market. So US 10-year yield ended the week around three basis points lower. But one of the big themes last week, as you alluded to, was just the insatiable demand for US Treasury paper. So the US Treasury conducted sales of three-year, 10-year and 30-year securities last week, and they were all met with robust demand. And most notably, indirect bidders were the strongest at each of the offerings, particularly in the long bond auction which saw the highest indirect takedown in history, despite the relatively low yield on offer. The other theme last week in US Treasury markets was the flattening of the yield curve. So the US 530s curve ended the week nearly 10 basis points flatter. This was a reflection of some positioning with real money and fast money accounts having piled into 530s and 1030s steepening type structures, which are now underwater and being unwound, leading to outperformance of the back end of the US Treasury curve. We certainly didn't see this in inflation markets last week, however, with US inflation expectations ending the week uh, largely unchanged. The other theme this week is just the large amount of economic data we have. So we've, this week we've got, in the US we have CPI data, we've got retail sales data, we've got industrial production data. Well, in China, we've also got a big data week with retail sales, industrial production and GDP. Um, in Europe, we also have, it's a big week with the European Council and the ECB this week. Uh, ECB is likely to be more of a wait and see meeting this week, but the, Euro, the Council recovery package is a major deal, um, given it's the first step in federalising um, debt in, in Europe. Excellent, Andrew. Thank you for that update. Uh, Phil, we might uh, ask you to come into the conversation. We normally have a macro credit update, but just given the uh, earnings season's coming up now, can we please uh, get your views on what we should be expecting in the weeks ahead? Yeah, definitely, Craig. Um, as we know, credit over the last little bit has been a little bit quiet and, and reasonably well contained, um, and that's heading into the northern summer and, and a bit of a lull in new issuance um, for the first time in a long time. But this week uh, does commence a kickoff of uh, U.S. reporting season that will be closely followed um, with European reporting season and then Aussie reporting in a few weeks' time. But um, yeah, so that's going to be that will be very important for risk assets in general and certainly the credit markets. But in terms of what the market what the market is currently expecting, uh, we're, we're looking at a 45% year year on year fall in June quarter earnings. That's consensus estimates. So that's um, and that's marks a fall over the quarter. At the start of the quarter, the expectations were for a fall in Q2 earnings of minus 14%. So that's come down a long way as the market's seen the coronavirus containment measures. And obviously, the containment measures were just kicking off at the start of the quarter. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's basically marks the second largest quarter year-on-year year quarterly fall in earnings uh, since the GFC and since the heart of the GFC. So it, it is a it's, it's a low bar, I guess, but equally it will be closely watched and there'll be a lot of focus on guidance and outlook statements. There is a bit of uncertainty going into this because we have a very low number of companies providing guidance. It's, I think it's in the order of 49 companies out of the S&P 500 that have given guidance and normally that's up above 100 companies. So the visibility is quite low. So, um, But typically companies as we know, tend to beat their expectations and beat market estimates. So you'd probably expect um, 
the actual result to be slightly better than the minus 44% the market's expecting. If we think about um, at an industry level, so and it's, it's understandable that the, really the weaker sectors in terms of, terms of the um, decline in their earnings for the quarter or the expected decline in earnings are consumer discretionary, industrials and energy. Energy obviously on, on the oil price falls, but consumer discretionary and industrials really around the falls in activities. So, and consumer discretionary includes the autos. It also includes Amazon. So that's expecting a second quarter fall in earnings of 119% versus Q2 last year. Um, and, and interestingly, as I said, Ford and GM are both in that, but also Amazon is. So Amazon's one we've talked about a bit, and obviously the NASDAQ being up, and, and Amazon stock over the quarter is up, uh, to, well, since 31 March to now is up about 64%. But the consensus estimates for its earnings for the June quarter are a fall of 77%. So um, it, it is a bit of a dichotomy there, but obviously it's getting a lot of growth, but it's coming at the expense or th there's a lot of cost to it running its logistics um, in the face of COVID. In terms of credit, I think, and importantly, this week really is the kickoff of the season comes from the banks. So we have Tomorrow night, we have JP Morgan, City, Wells Fargo. Then we have a number of the other large banks later in the week, um, Goldman, Morgan Stanley, um, Bamel. And then, so the first two weeks are dominated by banks, but then the corporate sectors will kick in and we'll continue to give, give updates along the way. But in terms of banks, um, and interestingly on the equity side, so banks are only up about 12 or 13% um, globally in the equity markets across the quarter. Um, so, so certainly there's a bit of, I guess the equity market is still a bit anxious about dividend cuts from the US bank. So that'll be a big focus for us. It's about seeing earnings cover, um, what you would think will be continued growth in credit provisioning. Um, we would still expect them to be profitable and that will be supportive for credit. Uh, and the other thing will be their trading books of the, um, of the investment bank. So we obviously know there's been record supply in the new issue market. And that should that's expected to give a boost, a boost to trading revenues this quarter. Um, but whether they, it'll be interesting to see the outlooks around that because, as we've been saying, new issue markets probably going to subside a bit in the second half of the year. Um, and just before I finish up, I just wanted to give a call out. I mean, most people will know, but probably not everyone, that on Friday, um, Marika Ward, um, our senior credit and ESG manager, she was announced one of Kanganu's seven market markets people of the year or receiving the award of market people of the year of the year for 2019 so that's a fantastic recognition of really all the drive and energy that Mareka is bringing to the fixed interest markets and in particular sustainability so well done Mareka. Thanks, Phil. Uh, thanks, team. Fantastic update. And clearly, locally, we are in a very interesting period for our market conditions. And we'll all now, no doubt, watch very closely how the state's various lockdown measures take effect. And just to reassert what uh, Phil said then, as an organisation who's very clearly focused on ESG investing, congratulations again, Mareka, on being awarded that Kangan News Market People of the Year for 2019. Thank you for listening to us on QPod today and have a super week ahead.